come to our scripture reading, which comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 43 through 48. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from a flow of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Then Jesus asked, Who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I noticed that power had gone out from me. When the woman realized that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Monday I was down at the YMCA. About a year ago I started getting up early and going down to the YMCA to swim a mile before breakfast a couple times a week. This week I got started on Monday and as I was swimming back and forth and back and forth, one of the other early morning swimmers came in and he watched me for a while. This is one of the the triathletes who come to, to train in the pool in the mornings, early in the mornings. This is one of the guys who comes in with his laminated workout sheet that he printed off of some website somewhere. He comes in with this fancy watch that keeps track of his laps and his calories burned and his heart rate. And he watched me swim back and forth and back and forth for a little while. And then when I came to the wall for a rest, he said, good morning. And then he asked me a question. He said, you know, I've been watching you do this for almost a year now, he said. And I've noticed that you always swim the exact same workout. He said, don't you ever get tired? Don't you ever get tired of doing the same thing over and over and over again? I thought about it for a minute. And I said, you know what? I do. Sometimes I really do get tired of doing the same thing over and over and over again. And I pushed off the wall and I kept on swimming. And what I didn't tell my early morning workout buddy on Monday was when I said I do. Sometimes I do get tired of doing the same things over and over and over again. I wasn't talking about swimming. Because on Monday, as I was swimming back and forth and back and forth down at the pool at the downtown YMCA, I wasn't thinking about swimming. My mind was somewhere else. As I was swimming laps this Monday morning, what I was thinking about was the shooting at Club Q. Last Sunday morning, while we were celebrating this joyous time of baptisms and receiving new members into our church family, the world was learning about an act of violence that took place in Colorado Springs. Last weekend, a man went into Club Q, a place of haven, a place of safety and sanctuary for the city's LGBTQ community, and he opened fire, and he killed five people. He wounded a couple dozen more. And as I was swimming on Monday morning, I was thinking about the people who had died and the lives that had been affected. And I was thinking about a vigil that was being planned for Tuesday evening in downtown Flint, a gathering to remember and honor the people whose lives were lost. 
And as I was swimming, I was thinking about another moment six years ago, not long after I came to Flint, a moment when a man walked into a club in Orlando called The Pulse and opened fire. And I was thinking about how after that shooting, we gathered for a vigil in downtown Flint to honor and to remember the lives that had been lost. And as I was swimming back and forth and back and forth on Monday morning, I was feeling so very very tired of doing the same things over and over and over again. And sometimes when I get to feeling that way, sometimes when I get to feeling worn out and discouraged, I think about John Wesley. Throughout this series, we've been hearing stories from the life of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement. Last week we heard how when he was a young man, John Wesley went to the American colonies. He went to serve as a missionary, but he spent a a short and frustrating time in America. It turns out that John Wesley wasn't much of a success as a missionary. Even so, his time in the American colonies changed his life in one important way. While John Wesley was traveling in Georgia, In South Carolina, he got to see firsthand something that most British people had only ever heard about. He got to see the violence of the British slave trade. He got to see the brutality and cruelty of the system of American chattel slavery. John Wesley saw people's lives being discarded. He saw families being torn apart all in the name of economic convenience. And John Wesley was convinced that what he saw with his own eyes was evil. No matter what scriptures theologians at the time used to justify that brutality and violence, John Wesley felt in his bones that it was evil. And he decided that he was going to do what he could to bring an end to it. And so when he returned to England, he started teaching about the slave trade. He started teaching people what was actually happening, what was actually going on. And he started preaching against the slave trade. He started preaching and calling upon slave owners to release the people they had enslaved immediately, no matter what the cost. And as the Methodist movement grew, so did John Wesley's influence, and so did the power of his voice. John Wesley shaped the Methodist movement into a movement to end the British slave trade, into a movement to end the American system of chattel slavery. John Wesley organized petitions. At one point, a petition to end the slave trade was submitted to the British Parliament that had been signed by 95% of the Methodists throughout all of Great Britain. John Wesley organized boycotts. He called upon Methodists to stop using, to stop buying sugar that had been grown by enslaved people on plantations in the West Indies. And hundreds of thousands of Methodists decided to do just that. Still to this day, there are places in Great Britain where you will find Methodists who refuse to take tea, to take sugar in their tea. And if you ask them why, they'll say, well, because Mr. Wesley told us not to. Mr. Wesley told us that we could end slavery by not taking sugar in our tea. John Wesley organized the Methodist movement into into an anti-slavery movement, and he spent more than five decades of his life working, working to end the slave trade, working to end slavery. John Wesley worked against slavery, preached against slavery, organized against slavery, taught against slavery for 56 years. In 1791, John Wesley was 87, almost 88 years old, 
And as he looked at all of the things that he had done, as he looked at all of the things that he had accomplished, he had one real cause to feel discouraged. He had one real regret, which was that in the years he had been working against slavery, not only had he not ended slavery, but in fact the slave trade had grown and grown throughout his lifetime. In 1791, the slave trade accounted for 80% of Great Britain's foreign income. The British Empire was more dependent upon slavery than it ever had been. And John Wesley had every reason in the world to feel discouraged. He had every reason in the world to feel exhausted and worn down. But even so, one day in 1791, John Wesley sat down and he wrote a letter. He wanted to write a letter to a young man named William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was a politician, and William Wilberforce was about to introduce a bill to the English Parliament, a bill to end the British slave trade. And John Wesley had been in this battle long enough that he knew that the bill was destined for failure. It was going to lose by a long shot. But he didn't want this young man to grow discouraged, and so he wrote a letter encouraging William Wilberforce. This is what he said in his letter. He said, unless God has raised you up for this great purpose, I do not see how you can possibly succeed. Unless God has raised you up for this, you will be worn down by the opposition of men and of devils. But if God is for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together greater than God? Do not be weary of well-doing. Go on in the power of his name. Go on in the glory of his might until even American slavery, the vilest that ever saw the sun, shall vanish away before him. John Wesley wrote that letter to William Wilberforce. He put it in the mail. The next day, he didn't feel so well. He had trouble going upstairs. He was running a fever. He couldn't keep any food down, so John Wesley took to his bed. Six days later, John Wesley was dead. Sometimes when I feel worn out and discouraged, sometimes when I'm feeling tired of doing the same thing over and over and over again, I think about John Wesley continuing to work against slavery, even from his deathbed. I think about John Wesley passing the torch to another generation, believing that maybe they would be able to do what he was not able to do. And sometimes I think about the woman in today's gospel reading. In today's reading, we have another one of those stories where Jesus is surrounded by a great crowd of people. And as he is moving along the road, people are pressing in from every side, trying to get close to Jesus. Jesus is making his way down the road when suddenly he stops And he looks around and he says, who touched me? Someone touched me. I felt the power flowing out of me. Who was it who touched me? His disciples say, Jesus, look at this crowd. There's no way anybody could possibly know who it was who touched you. But of course, there was one person in the crowd who knew exactly what had happened. In the crowd that day, there was a woman. We don't know very much about this woman. The gospel writers didn't think it was important enough to tell us her name. We don't know her name. All that we know for sure about this woman is that she had an ailment. She had been bleeding for 12 years. We can guess at what her life must have been like. We know that in those days, a woman with this kind of ailment was considered to be ritually unclean. And so for 12 years, this woman would have been prevented from entering the temple and worshiping alongside God's people. For 12 years, she had not been able to sing God's praises in the house of the Lord. 
And we know that in those days, this kind of an ailment was grounds for divorce. And so there's a good chance that at some point in those 12 years, her husband had left her and taken with him any children they might have had. And it's no wonder that this woman was desperate to find a cure. And so in those 12 years, she went to doctor after doctor, physician after physician, hoping that someone would be able to heal her. But the doctors just took her money and shook their heads and sent her away until finally she was penniless and destitute. And after 12 years of being disappointed, after 12 years of frustration and failure, she must have been so very tired of doing the same thing over and over and over again. And yet here she is in the crowd, reaching out in hope one more time, reaching out her fingers towards Jesus. And then her fingers brush the fringe of Jesus' garment. And suddenly she feels power flowing into her body. She knows immediately what has happened. She knows that she has finally been cured. Sometimes when I am tired of doing the same thing over and over and over again. I think about that woman who somehow found enough hope in her heart to reach out her hand one more time, believing that maybe Jesus will be able to do what no one else could do. And sometimes when I'm feeling worn out and discouraged, and I'm tired of doing the same thing over and over again, I think about people I've known Think about people I've met through the years. I think about LGBTQ United Methodists, people who have been abandoned by their families, people who have been hurt by the church, people who have been judged and condemned in the name of Jesus by people like me, and yet somehow they find within themselves the hope. Sometimes they find within themselves the faith that it takes to walk through the doors of the church one more time, to sit in a pew one more time believing that God has a place for them even if nobody else does. Sometimes I think about LGBTQ United Methodists I have known and I think, well, if they haven't given up yet, then neither will I. If they can keep going, then so can I. So can we. We can believe that the next generation will be able to do what our generations failed to do. We will believe that Jesus can do what no human being can do. We can believe that if God is for us, no one can be against us. We can believe and we can carry on and we can keep on swimming until finally violence and hatred and hurting are no more. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would give us persistence of faith. We pray that you would give us endurance of hope. We pray that you would give us the faith of John Wesley, the faith of that woman who reached out over and over again until finally she felt the power of your kingdom flowing into her body. God, we pray for the power of your kingdom to flow into this church. We pray for the power of your kingdom to flow into this world, that there might be peace, that there might be healing, that hatred and hurting might be no more, that every tear might be wiped dry. These things we pray in Jesus. Amen.